apps of corporate and investment banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in telecommunications. And it just needs to start extending and connecting, as you say, to all the various parts of the value chain. And I think COVID has certainly accelerated that. And I think it's going to come quicker than we think. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Hello, welcome to the latest in the APSA Insights series. Today we're talking about how telecommunications companies are impacting agriculture and health in Africa. Now this is a massive, broad subject. You can talk about anything from robotics, looking at fields of crops, for example. You can look at how surgeons are sitting in Cape Town or Johannesburg and doing surgery virtually in Nigeria or Nairobi or vice versa, for example. But we're not going to focus on that. Today we are zeroing in, in particular, on a part of technology to help us with that is Prasanna Nana. Now, the head of Diversified Industrials and Telecommunications, Media and Technology at APSA Corporate and Investment Bank. That is the world's biggest title so far, Prasanna. Now, listen, talk to me about the Internet of Things. We talk about it as if everybody knows exactly what it is. But more and more, the Internet of Things is in practically every aspect of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. Yes. So, Bruce, with the Internet of Things, maybe to break it down into something that you and I can relate with and many people could relate with, is what we call connected devices. If you think about wearables, something that you wear in your wrist that tracks the number of steps you do in a day. Now, when it first started, pretty much that was all the information it gave you was how many steps you did. Over time, that's got more and more sophisticated. It's monitoring your heart rate. It's telling you when you need to take a rest and, and that sort of things. And in COVID times, of course, more more and more of these things are fitted with oximeters, which has become this wonderful application that you know, previously it was a bit of a play thing. Yes, it's nice to know what your pulse rate is. Yes, it's nice to know how many steps you walked. And ultimately, that helps you with long-term goals. The oximeter helps you here and now. If suddenly your blood oxygen level has gone from 98 to 82, you wondered why you were feeling a little tired. Well, now you know. Get help fast. I mean, it's a life-saving device. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. That's true. And the sophistication has really gone to the next level. And why we say telecommunications or companies are really at the forefront of that is because of 5G. Again, another term everyone talks a lot about. But what does 5G do? It comes with faster speeds and lower latency. And that just means that the time it takes between giving a device instruction and getting the information back is quicker. So with 5G, you can really now start to connect devices all over the place and you can have them sending real-time data to an app on your phone. So this is where it really gets interesting now, because if you're a farmer and you've got thousands of cattle, you can put little devices on their collars and now you can track your cattle wherever they are, not just to prevent theft, but also to track their heart rate, to track pregnant cattle, you know, to, and you start making real-time decisions around how to feed them, who needs more water. So it, it starts to get quite interesting when you think about the agriculture. And, and you already mentioned healthcare. I have to go where the herd is going on this particular one. I grew up on a farm and we had cattle and we had sheep and it was run on instinct. My dad would go out in the morning, the cattle all standing on four legs. Excellent. That's a good start. No nasty foaming around the mouth. Um, You know, cow pats are looking relatively uniform. Everything is great and off he would go and 
go and check out the sheep and look for similar signs. What you're doing now is the farmer is lying in bed at seven o'clock in the morning, not up at five, um, and is doing the same sorts of checks virtually. Absolutely. And getting far more information than just what his eyes can see. He's getting information about the cow's heart rate, about how he should be feeding them. So he can start making decisions based on his knowledge and his experience about how to optimize his livestock and, and ultimately what he produces on the farm. And it's not just livestock. It goes for fruits and vegetables and, and anything that you can farm, really. There's sensors to, to monitor irrigation levels, water shortages. You can start to marry that with weather forecasts and you can really start to get clever about making sure your farm is yielding um, the best crops and, and you even take it a step further from there to determine through your app where's the best place to send your supply once you've harvested your crops so you don't want to send it in a place where there's oversupply and you don't get the best price so it really starts to connect not just your farm but your your uh, distribution as well. Now, that gives you a great advantage as a farmer who has this technology in a world where most farmers won't yet have this technology. We're doing it on the basis that the local co-op has got the same technology. We're doing it on the basis that our feed supplier has got the same technology, that our medicine supplier has got the same technology. It requires an integrated network of people who have equitable access to the tech. How far are we from a world where that is true? We're not as far as we may think we are. I think at the moment, there are pockets and there are lots of examples where this is happening. And it just needs to start extending and connecting, as you say, to all the various parts of the value chain. And I think COVID has certainly accelerated that. And I think it's going to come quicker than we think, particularly when, when 5G is, is rolled out more in the different countries on the continent. I think we'll see it really being prevalent. And again, 5G is likely to be an urban rollout initially and then eventually into rural areas and farms, yes. my experience in, in rural areas. So how realistic then yes. is it to expect this massive application of this wonderful technology that exists, all of the uses that you suggest it could achieve? Initially, it's as you say, in the rural areas, it's more about helping farmers get the best out of their farms. And in a world where we have to worry about food security, water shortages, climate change, that I think is the priority. First, to, to get the best out of the farms in a sustainable way. And then over time, it should expand to make it far more efficient and more connected. But yes, I think it, it will take a little bit longer to, to, to do that last connection or that last part of the value chain. But it's, it's the science of the possible, isn't it? I mean, it, right now, there yes. is a use case, um, and that use case yes. expands and expands very dramatically, particularly when it comes to accessing markets, because that is the goal of every farmer, whether they're growing a crop or, or, or growing an animal. They want the best quality product to get to the best uh, possible market destination, the most efficient way to get the best possible price. Absolutely. And so the connectivity is important. I think it's it's happening in phases because the cost of these devices, the cost of the connectivity, the bandwidth, all of that is still coming. It still needs to be fully rolled out. But I think over time, that's the ultimate goal. I tell you the way it used to work. And the, I mean, this is scientific. You would plant your potatoes in November. By May, they'd been frost and the plants died off. You would then lift your potatoes. You would take them to a sorting shed, sort them manually, put them into bags, listen to that day's market prices on the radio at one o'clock, make a phone call to a guy who said, I can get a truck to you in three days time. And then you would choose which market to send them to based on three day old prices. 
the immediacy and the power of this. I wonder, <laughs> does it give advantage or does it just provide transparency? Because once everybody has the same information and the same technology is interpreting the same information, does it provide any advantage or does it just become a requirement of modern agriculture? I would say it's a requirement of modern agriculture. I don't think it's intended to give an advantage. I think it's more about efficiency and making sure that you're getting the best out of your farm, that there's low wastage, that you're not wasting water, you're not wasting your, your harvested product. Because in a world with a growing population, scarce resources, climate change, you need the most you can get out of what you produce on your land. And hopefully that should translate into better kind of return for the farmer, if I can put it that way. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. How do you create new jobs that weren't there before? More jobs in the tech space. And I think that's how you shift the labor market. EPSA Insights. And then from a healthcare perspective, I mean, many of the principles that we've discussed are probably as applicable in healthcare and the delivery of healthcare solutions to people as solutions are to farmers. It's kind of the same technology, isn't it? Yes. So in, in healthcare, it has two applications when we talk about the Internet of Things. The first one, since we're in a COVID world, we have to talk about how it applies to, to COVID application, is tracking vaccines, tracking PPE, tracking stock, and making sure that every vaccination site has adequate stock, has everything it needs to vaccinate people. And you do that through sensors, through IoT. In South Africa, take, for example, the EVDS system. That is being supported by a telecommunication company using Internet of Things. So that's where it becomes quite interesting. And then the other application outside of COVID and in more generally in health is around being able to track your patient's progress in real time. So as a doctor, if you've operated on someone, you've now discharged them and sent them home, but they still have a recovery period. You've got sensors that's tracking their vital signs. And as a doctor, you can remotely keep an eye on them and make sure that if you need to bring them back in or administer some medicines, you can do that without them having to travel the long distances to come back to the hospital. Now, that on one level is absolutely incredible. And I don't mind you doing it to cows, but now you're doing it to people. And I remember a nice man called Mr. George Orwell, who was writing books about this in the 1940s, who was telling us that this was the big brother future. At what point does it go from useful medical technology into this dreadful big brother world? world of spying on the nation's health. It is your duty to, you know, to, to make your health data available. And you can rationalize it in any way you like. You know, government needs to plan for healthcare, needs to plan for clinics. We need to see where there are waterborne diseases. We need to see where there are outbreaks of cancers, and we can then mitigate against these. And you can rationalize it as much as you like. But it just strikes me that we're moving to an era of oversight, which is potentially uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and that'll always be a fear, I think, um, and, and would be part of the reason why it wouldn't roll out as rapidly as one would think or logic would dictate because of this hesitancy around exactly that fear that how is my information going to be used? What more information are they gathering than what I had authorized? And then the third thing is even if they're only gathering 
exactly what I'm allowing them to gather. Could someone hack in and steal that information? And what are they going to do with that? Cybersecurity is a big concern in this space. What then also comes into play is regulation. How does government step in to make to create the safety nets around it? But at the same time, to use your example, they may be the ones using the information as well. So it's it's a it's a big discussion point. It is a big discussion point, and that's where I suppose the tension then evolves to, where you've got the incredible technology that can substantially improve health outcomes over a period of time across societies, reduce the budgets or redirect budgets and get money spent appropriately to solve real problems in real time, rather than this kind of shot in the dark, which is essentially what what policymakers are doing at the moment. Health gets a hundred billion. Excellent. Off it goes. We kind of don't know where it fritters away to after that. This provides a great opportunity. Yes. Um, it provides information and data around better better diagnostics, making sure people are diagnosed properly. And, and hopefully there's cost savings in that because people aren't having to go for a whole host of tests before they know what's wrong with them. You know, this can maybe create that kind of efficiency. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely positives to it and there will always be some risks with, with anything, I suppose. There's, there's always going to be challenges and risks. And there was a meme during the rounds probably 12 months ago now of Mark Zuckerberg sitting with a young boy in a classroom. And the young boy says to Mark Zuckerberg, my dad says you're spying on us. And Mark Zuckerberg says, he's not your dad. Um, and, and that is, <laughs> I, I, I suppose, a great opportunity. Uh, and there's a cost. I mean, for every yes. technological advance, there is a trade-off. And we've got to decide as a society whether we're ready to make those trade-offs. Absolutely. And and sometimes it gets enforced on us like COVID. We're certain we all had to go remote. We all had to work remotely. I mean, even in COVID, a lot of patients, that's where te- telehealth, as they call it, really was advanced because people needed access to a doctor and it had to go virtual in many cases. There was a moment where it felt like you would never get to see the face of your GP ever again, that you you'd never feel them grab your pulse or whatever the case was, because people were just too terrified to go into places where other people may have been aware the doctor didn't want to be exposed to to COVID-19. In every crisis, though, it brings an opportunity. And I wonder whether or not this is permanent change. Do you see it as a permanent change in a world where I suppose the sort of hybrid, if I've got a bit of a sore throat, I can aim the camera at my throat and the doctor can say, yep, you need an antibiotic, you know, get it delivered by your local pharmacy and off you go. Whether there's an element of that plus the element of physical intervention when required. Yeah, I think there will be some permanent shifts. I think there will be some cases where people feel perfectly comfortable to get a virtual diagnosis for minor issues or minor illnesses. And perhaps for the bigger ones, they'd prefer to have an in-person consultation. So I think definitely there will be some permanent shifts in how we approach healthcare and, and agriculture as well. But in all industries where resources are considerably more stretched today than they were 50 years ago, where medical aid makes it possible to get to a medical consultation where previously you might have had budget to reconsider, suddenly there's this democratization of access which didn't ever exist before. And as you know, half the time you go to three quarters, maybe four fifths of the time you go to a doctor, you spend waiting in a waiting room because I've never been to a doctor's appointment. It started on time. So there's an efficiency thing happening, isn't there? 
Absolutely. I mean, if you're doing a virtual consultation and the doctor's late, you don't mind because you're at home. You know, exactly. when the doctor's ready, he'll call me. Um, so it creates efficiency for the patient as well. That, as you say, they don't have to sit in a waiting room. I mean, I've spent three hours in a waiting room once. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a necessity for it in some cases. And in COVID times, if there's somebody coughing on the other side of the room, you don't want to be in that space. The, the bottom line here is, Prasanna, with every technology comes huge opportunity. It becomes hugely simplifies our lives, but it does come at a potential social cost. Um, are the trade-offs worth it? I think so. And I, and I think it's because when you come back to what is Internet of Things ultimately trying to do, looking at the two sectors we're looking at, which is agriculture and healthcare, right? It's trying to maximize scarce resources and get the best out of the resources you have. So I think that shift is worth it. But then you've got to consider how you redeploy labor as an example, and one of the things the telecommunication companies are really focused on is incubating and growing and developing tech entrepreneurs. So let's take a quite a simple example. You know, if you were the guy that previously drove the tractor on the farm, well, now you've got to reskill yourself to work with these sensors and interpret the data. And so you still have a job on the farm. You're just repurposing yourself to work with the way the world is shifting. But it does come at a consequence, a labor consequence. Um, agriculture is automatic automating more and more as mining is automating more and more. Um, the farms of today already don't require the labor forces that were required you know, 20, 30 years ago, even certainly 50 years or 100 years ago, where yes. the labor was far more manual. This, again, um, we can call it progress, but does the African continent need the sort of labor-saving progress uh, on a continent where the, ex the population is exploding and where jobs are desperately needed? Yeah, on the face of it, it doesn't need it. Um, it needs more jobs. And generally, those are available in more human labor-intensive industries. So if you're making most industries less labor-intensive, you're going to have that challenge. And I guess it comes back to the point about how do you create new jobs that weren't there before? More jobs in the tech space. And I think that's how you shift the labor market. Considerably yeah. easier said than done. But I suppose the reason why the Luddites smashed the looms is because they couldn't see the future beyond the working on, on you know, working and weaving cloth by hand. History shows us uh, that technological advances, advanced societies make life more pleasant, make work easier to do, and frankly, make jobs more fun to do as well. Prasanna, thank you. Prasanna yeah. Nana is with APSA Corporate and Investment Bank. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.